1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us, as we do at the start of almost every show. We live stream the first couple segments on Facebook Live. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. I am, of course, rocking the colors. Great day for the Milwaukee Brewers. We've got a lot of interesting stuff coming up on the program. We're going to be talking about Judge Kavanaugh. By the way, it rained over the last couple days, so you know what that means. MMSD decides to dump poop into the lake. We'll talk about this in more detail later on. But the real question to me is, how long are the people who who supposedly care about the environment going to put up with the city of Milwaukee and Shorewood causing millions of gallons of untreated wastewater, in other words, poop, dumped into Lake Michigan. And it is happening over and over again, and it happened over the last couple days because, oh, it rained. Not, gee, Noah needs to build an ark type of rain, but it rained a little bit, fills up the deep tunnel, so boom, poop goes into the lake. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's get started with the big story of the day, Brewers Fever, Catch It. The Brewers go down to Chicago for the 163rd game of the season. Boy, if you were um, reading the Chicago Tribune yesterday, matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet about this, the, the Cubs sports writers did not seem to think that there was any way in the world that the Brewers were going to be able to beat the Cubs at Wrigley Field, and yet that is precisely what happened. I think you can argue they played one of the best games of the year. It was a well-pitched game, you had good, solid defensive plays, and you had clutch hitting. The Brewers win 3-1. to one. They are the National League Division, the, the Central Division champions, which means... Number one, they don't have to have a play-in game today. Number two, they get to have the home field advantage throughout the entire National League playoffs, which means they are at home Thursday afternoon and Friday afternoon. If, If you haven't heard the announcement, they've now released the times. The Brewers game Thursday, which will be against the winner of tonight's game against Colorado and Chicago, that game is a little bit after 4 o'clock, I think like 4.15 our time on Thursday. The second game is a little bit earlier. It's like 3.07 on Friday afternoon. So we will have afternoon baseball Thursday and Friday. My show will originate from Miller Park on both Thursday and Friday. Thursday will have a full three-hour show. Friday, just a two-hour show. But if you're coming out and about to the game, what you want to do is you want to uh, be sure and stop by and check that out. One of the other things that is very, very cool, and we, we just announced this a little while ago, is essentially the game is essentially sold out for Thursday uh, unless you're willing to commit to buy season tickets for next year, which I would encourage you to do that. I had season, a partial season ticket package and, and loved it. But if you can't get tickets to the game, we are encouraging you to come out to what we're calling the hometown call at Turner Hall. It is a viewing party for Game 1 of the National League Division Series this Thursday. It is a free event, massive movie screen broadcast at the Turner Hall Ballroom of Game 1 of the National League Division Series. And what we are going to do is we are going to turn down the sound. I'm going to be talking about the ESPN coverage of this yesterday. We're going to turn down the sound on the TV feed 
And we're going to sync it up with Bob Euchre's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Doors open at 3 o'clock this Thursday. First pitch is 4 o'clock. It is free at Turner Hall. So if you can't get into the ball game, don't have tickets to go see the game at Miller Park, come on down to Turner Hall um, for the hometown call at Turner Hall. All right. So that's all the Brewers news. Very, very exciting times. But as as somebody who's been to a lot of games this year, this happened to be the year, if you're a regular listener, you know that my buddy and I, we, we broke down and we bought a 20-pack a of season tickets. I probably went to about 30 games overall. Went to the game on Friday night. Had a, a lot of fun. And, and it has been incredibly fun to watch this Brewers team. I, I had the opportunity to interview a lot of the guys when we did our opening day broadcast, and I was lucky enough to be down in, in the dugout meet a lot of the players, young, talented players, paired with some experienced, talented players, and then, of course, a breakout superstar, which is is Christian Yelich. Everybody knew Christian Yelich was going to be good. I don't think anybody knew he was going to be this good. But it's been a special team, arguably with the best bullpen in baseball. All right, I have been a Brewers fan since the Brewers came to Milwaukee. There have been fun Brewers teams. There's been a lot of bad Brewers teams, and there's been some very good Brewers teams. I I remember being at County Stadium in 1982. Brewers beat the California Angels to go play the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. They ultimately lost in seven games. I remember when the Brewers made their return to the playoff in, what was that, like 2008. I remember the 2011 series, one of the most fun times I've ever had at a ballpark, was when the Brewers won Game 5 over the Arizona Diamondbacks. And now you have the 2018 team, which is, I think, truly special. Here's what I want to start off the program with. All right, sports fans, particularly those of you who've been around for a little while, here's my question. Is this the best Brewers team ever? Is it better than 2008? Is it better than 2011? I know this might be heresy, but for people who remember back to 1982, is this a better team than the 1982 team? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this team has the potential to go very, very far. I think they are getting better at just the right time. But, you know, I think they're pretty good. Is this the best Brewers team ever? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Once again, live streaming the show on Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Is this the best Brewers team ever? Have you caught Brewers fever? We will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on if you want to join us. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sun's up in the air to left. Deep. Get out of here. And it's gone. Jonathan Scope just hit one out of here with the bases loaded to put the crew on top. What a rocket. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Is this the Brewers team? Best Brewers team ever. Ever. Let's start with Jeff in Watertown. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Uh, being someone that worked in the uh, Brewer Stadium back in the 82 year, I'm going to stick with the 82 season. Um, you got three pitchers, four pitchers actually, that all pitched 
uh, double-digit victories, starting pitchers. So I would say the starting pitchers in the 82 team was probably better than the team that we have now. The relievers now are probably better than the 82 team. Right. And then when you take a look at, uh, like, uh, Cooper, Yount, and Mollett are both, or all three are hitting over 300 to Yelich, Kane, and uh, mm-hmm. probably Braun. Right. Well, let's. I mean, they, I mean, let, let's review the bidding. I mean, here, here's the '82 team. Um, um, Ted Simmons was was the catcher. Cecil Cooper at first base. Gantner at second. Molitor at third. Yount was playing shortstop. Ben Ogilvy in left field. Gorman Thomas in center field. Charlie Moore in right field. The starting pitchers were Mike Caldwell, Moose Haas, Randy Lurch. Uh, Pete Vukovic and Bob McClure. Those were the starting pitchers. Then you had Raleigh Fingers. Of course, Fingers got injured at the end. Jerry Augustine, Jamie Easterly, Jim Slayton. Um, look, I understand we, we look through this through rose-colored glasses, and you know any team with Molitor and Yount on it is going to get a lot of credit. There. But I don't know. If, if you go position by position, I think you can make an argument that – I don't know. Aguiar, is he as good as, as Cecil Cooper? Maybe. Second base, eh, second base has been an issue. Robin Yount, clearly superior. Molitor, clearly superior. But then you go through the outfield. I'll, I mean, with all due deference to Charlie Moore and Gorman Thomas and Ben Ogilvy, um, an, an outfield of Braun and Kane and Yelich, it's kind of tough to top that. 414-799-1620. Eric in Elkhorn. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I think uh, at this point in the season, this year's team is better simply because Fingers was hurt and didn't right. play in the series at all, correct? Right, correct, yep. And wasn't Vukovic a little dinged yep. up as well? Vukovic was hurt as well, yep. So I would say over the course of the season, 82, but getting to this point in time in the season, this team is healthy. They're firing on all cylinders, so I'd give it I'd give it this year. Well, yeah, and, and of course you look at the pitching staff, and again, this isn't. I mean, the, the eighty-two team was special as well. But you look at this pitching staff. I mean, my my goodness, the, the the Brewers bullpen. You really get the idea that if the Brewers can figure out a way to get the lead after the fifth or sixth inning, there, there's nobody coming back on them. No, no, and that's like you said, it's a different game. Starters used to go a lot right. deeper into the game, and uh, I think they look really good this year. Yeah, no. Th- thanks. For call. I guess that one of the things I, I think too is if you look at if you look at the overall team, I I am just stunned by the depth on, on this year's Brewers team. I mean, the fact that you know you've got players. I mean, Travis Shaw, for example, didn't even start the game yesterday, and here's a guy who's hit thirty what two home runs or whatever he ended up hitting. You have just got incredible depth on on this team. A depth that I'm not sure any Brewers team has, has ever had before. Now, with all due respect to the 2011 team that, again, made the National League Championship Series, I don't think there's any comparison. I mean, they had some really good players, and, of course, you had a, you know, that was Ryan Braun's MVP year, and you had Zach Greinke, but I don't think there's any comparison. I mean, I, I think, really, this team, if you want to argue whether or not, you can argue, I guess, maybe whether the 82 team was better or not, but I, I don't think you can argue that this has been the best team since 1982. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike and Slinger. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I think uh, this team here in 2018 is is uh, superior than the one in 82. I I was around in 82. They were good. They're, but uh, with 
manager council mm-hmm. is I I think is is uh, uh, a big uh, positive note in all of this. Oh it. yeah, the way he manages is unbelievable, and he uses every. I think we have a better bench. Oh, the depth uh, is incredible. There's no question the about depth it. Is incre- yes, absolutely, and I think. I honestly think they're going to the World Series this year, and I think because of of the depth and the and the starting team and the manager, I think they they can do this. Yeah, you know, thanks. It's going to be really uh, one of the, the hard decisions that they're going to make is starting on Thursday. They, they've in September they've had they've had a forty man roster, so you, you brought back Domingo Santana, for example, and and Santana's become a pitch pinch hitter extraordinaire. You know, what do you do with him? What do you do with Curtis Granderson? You know, where how do you align when you go from 25, when you go from 40 to 25? But that's a nice problem to have. The depth on this team, I think, has absolutely been amazing. And to your point, Mike, about Craig Council. Now, look, I'm, I, I'm a fan. He's a Whitefish Bay guy and we, we lived, he, my old house, he was, he was a neighbor. But I, I will tell you, I think Council has absolutely the right temperament for this team. Now, look, the, the whole, Part of the fun about baseball is second guessing moves. You know, should he have started Yelich the day against the Cubs? You know, did he did he get a little bit overzealous when he pulled a pitcher too soon or too late or whatever? There's always going to be that degree of second guessing. But day in, day out, I think Craig Council has the perfect temperament for this team. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He's not one of these guys who's going on these tirades of throwing water coolers or stuff like that. And I mean, I, I just always remember when the Brewers hit that rough patch where they were playing 23 games in 23 days. And remember, they lost five in a row in Pittsburgh and everybody was jumping off the bandwagon. You know, Council was just like, hey, hey, relax. It's a long season. And again, I think he's had the perfect temperament for this. And as my friend Wayne Larravee always says, it's not who you play. It's when you play them. And you, you want to talk about rounding into form. This Brewers team has, has really rounded into form. Let's talk to Chad in Pewaukee. Chad, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there. Um, yeah, I was just going to, you know, commenting on your decision of, you know, what team is the best for the Brewers. Right. I would have to say this year's is definitely the best. Just because if you look at the way that baseball was played in 82, 11, and 08, everything's about numbers now. So, right. I mean, you have a team who's gone against percentages that are supposed to be in favor of an opposing team, and they still managed to hit over 300. They still managed to do those clutch hits. Right. Could the 82 team do that when you have those pitching matchups where a guy comes in for one specific batter or the way the shifts right. are made or things of that nature? I mean, the 08 team, I don't think, could have done it either. And the 11, maybe just because that's kind of, I think, when it started to do. But yeah. It's evolved so much since 82. Was that a great team? Sure, definitely. Yeah. But could they have done it the way that baseball is played now? I don't think so. Yeah, and, and that's not a knock on the 82 team. I mean, I, I understand it's kind of heresy. I, I That's some of my fondest memories. My favorite sporting event, maybe the 2010 Super Bowl. But with, with the exception of, of that, it was it was being at County Stadium for those last three games between the Brewers and the California Angels when the Brewers had to come back and win three in a row. And, I mean, it, it's it's just great memories, and it was a great team, and Robin Yount in his prime and Paul Molitor in his prime, and, you know, they, they'd hit home runs. But just just depth and the way the game is played, you know, 25-man roster compared to 25-man roster, I, I, I think this is just great. And Christian Yelich, 
I mean, Christian Yelich is having as good a season, I think, as any brewer has ever had in history, and that includes Robin Yount and it includes Paul Molitor. Now, thanks for calling. Right. Yeah, and, and, what, and, and, and what a lot of fun. I mean, the other thing, and, and the, the 82 team had fun as well. And this is, I mean, it's just, you get the impression that these guys like each other. Um, my limited contact, when I, like I said, I get to interview a bunch of them on opening day in the dugout. My limited contact is they like each other. They're glad to be here. You don't have, you, you've got, you've got a mix of veterans, but it's, it's not these jaded guys. And you know, every once in a while, there's teams of destiny. You, you need certain breaks. I mean, think back on, on all these teams that, that have won and done well. A lot of times, they're, they're getting breaks. And just, just look at the last week, okay? You, you have that game that they've got to win against the St. Louis Cardinals. They're, they're ahead, and then Moustakas throws the ball down the right field line. The St. Louis Cardinal runner rounds third, and he, he does a face plant. He trips. I mean, he, he's going to round third a hundred times. He's not going to trip, but, but he trips. And then you have the game. I was at the game against the Tigers Friday night. You have the, the fly ball, the Yount fly ball to right field in the eighth inning. I couldn't even see this from where I was sitting. But the right fielder goes back. He, he essentially catches the ball, but it rolls out of his glove. It rolls along the, the top of the wall and then falls over <laughs> into that, that area. I mean, that's, that, that ball probably should have been caught. But, I mean, it could have just fallen down. You got a double. Instead, it just, it's being at the right place at the right time. So, you, you can have this debate. It's not knocking the 82 team, but I, I tell you, I, I think, I think man for man, I think this is the best Brewers team ever. And I think that they're going to have a pretty darn decent run into the playoffs. And the fact that they have home field advantage, that just makes it even cooler. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Ryan Braun sends it to left center and deep. Get up! Get out of here! Gone! Ryan Braun! He just hit a walk-off out of here! And the Brewers have come from behind back-to-back home runs! It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Come game one on Thursday, the Brewers roster will have to be whittled back to 25. What will it look like? Who will be the biggest surprise left off? Greg Matzik will try and figure it all out, and he wants to hear your thoughts tonight on Sports Central at 707. One of the cool things, the playoff roster, if they get through the division series, then they can put up another 25. It, it, it doesn't have to be the same players, I think, for the National League Championship Series. And it's going to be a tough call, because like I say, you've got, you have depth on this team. I think unlike any Brewers team in history, and I do include 1982. I mean, up and down the line, just incredibly talented players. So, all right, yesterday for a little while, I was in you-know-where. Um, here, here's what happened. So because the, the play-in game was at noon yesterday, I had the day off. So during the morning, I was running errands and all, and, and the errands took me a little bit longer than I, I thought. So I, I, I get home. And I, I get home right before the, the first pitch, so I so I turn on the TV. Now, um, what I typically here, here's part of the thing we at in my house we have Alexa. You know, the, the whole place is wired for Alexa, and so when I want to listen to the radio, it'll be Alexa play WTMJ. Well, the problem is we have the rights to on-air broadcasts of baseball. Because the best way to listen to it, to take in a baseball game, is, is to have Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering. There's just no question about it. So 
the problem, of course, is that we at WTMJ, and we have the right to the over-the-air broadcast, but because Major League Baseball wants to make money, you have to set up, you have to pay separately if you want the, the streaming. And so, uh, and I, I've never done that. So I, I thought, all right, I'm, I'm just, I'm in a hurry here. I sit down and I, I start watching the ESPN game, and I'm I'm, I'm gaming on ESPN, and I, I'm watching it because it's synced up, of course, with what the announcers are saying. And I'm listening to the broadcasters, and I'm listening to the broadcasters, and I'm finding myself getting increasingly annoyed, especially with the lead ESPN announcer, this guy named Carl Ravitch, who, first of all, seems to think that everybody is stupid because I, I swear every three minutes he's pointing out. Oh, this is game 163, and the winner does this, and the winner does that. And I thought, okay, after you said it about the eighth time, people get it. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to necessarily accuse him of bias one way or the other. But here you have one of the most exciting baseball games of the year. At one point in time, one guy is complaining because he had to take a flight earlier this morning, and he was stuck in a middle seat on a United airline. But then, then you get to the fifth inning. Now, the, the Brewers' starting pitcher, Shashin, had pitched. He had a no-hitter going through four innings. Not a perfect game, but a no-hitter. Comes out to start the fifth inning, and the Cubs' power-hitting first baseman, Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, hits a home run, ties the game 1-1. All right. At that point in time, this Carl Ravage goes on this lengthy diatribe about how Craig Council should have pulled his starting pitcher. And I, I admit, I'm sitting there, I'm screaming, he's got a no-hitter going. This is, he's got a no-hitter going through four innings, and, and yes, Anthony Rizzo has just hit a home run, but, but are, who's gonna, who's gonna pull a pitcher after four innings of, of no-hit baseball? And he keeps going on and on. And a couple of the other guys that are in the booth, they're trying to talk him down because I think they realize how dumb this is, but he's just backing it up. Well, you know, Council's got this great bullpen. This, this is what happens when you leave him in too long. And then it, it kind of went from bad to worse to the point that, I'm now yelling at the TV, which is always a bad sign. So at that point in time, I get up during one of the commercial breaks. I go down into the basement. I retrieve an AM FM radio from the basement, bring it upstairs and fire it up and and live with the the out of sync thing because I I just couldn't stand it anymore. And it just, again, it convinces me that for these national broadcasters, especially Folks who don't cover the Brewers, you know, because truth is on on ESPN, unless you're the Boston Red Sox or the Los Angeles Dodgers or, of course, the New York Yankees, you don't get any coverage at all. The Brewers haven't been on once on the the, uh, ESPN Sunday night broadcast, which is their kind of feature thing. But I'm I'm listening to this and I'm shouting and shouting at the the TV going, "Oh, oh, come on. I mean, is this really the best you can do? All right, Brewers Nation, I want to give you one chance to vet. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If if you ended up watching the game yesterday and hearing the announcers, you had the ESPN broadcast feed, did it strike you as being as awful <laughs> as, it, as it seemed to me? Like I say, the, the, my, my breaking point was when the guy is criticizing Craig Council for not pulling the starting pitcher who had a no-hitter going after four innings and ends up giving up a home run. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Again, it just completely and totally convinced me that if you're going to be a Brewers fan, especially since you have these broadcasters who really don't know this team and haven't covered the team and don't pay attention to the team, 
ah, you're, you're much better off, much better off again listening to the home broadcast. Cause yesterday it was a frustrating one for me. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Brewers fever catch it. It's 1242. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The pitch caught third strike. 91 dotting the outside corner, and that is strikeout number 13 for Freddie Peralta. Nobody has struck out more in their Brewers debut. Forty-five, Jeff Wecker, WTMJ. All right, I'm not alone. Here's the ta- uh, some of the comments. Jeff absolutely hated the broadcast. Listen to radio, even though it was eight to ten seconds or more ahead. The announcers should be fired, in my opinion. Well, I, you know, it just it was bad. It, it was it was just bad. Bubba in West Bend says I only listen to WTMJ for the Packers and the Brewers. I put the TV on moot and then turn up the radio pretty loud. Here's somebody else. I use a radio that has a microchip in it that allows the feed to be delayed by up to 16 seconds. That's how I watched yesterday's game. Jeff, Brewers broadcast on ENPN was awful. I lost it when he was going on and on about the could play the piano and move it too and wouldn't let it go. Um, go Brewers. Yeah, that was another segment. They got, this is one of the best games in there. And, and they were just talking incessantly about, hey, I had to get on an airplane at four o'clock this morning and I was sitting in a middle seat. Oh, heaven forbid he was sitting in a middle seat. But, but again, I, I, I just, I couldn't take it anymore after, gee, Craig Council has really made a mistake. He didn't pull his starting pitcher after four no hit innings. Huh. Nancy in Milwaukee. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I so agree with uh, all the comments that have been made, and I really have enjoyed your history, your little walk through brewery history today. Thanks. Jeff. But um, what really got me was how many times they showed Rizzo's home run over and over. And I had the TV, and I had, of course, Euchre on, and they had commercials right through some of the pitches. And oh. it, it, the thing with the piano, I mean, that was like the last drop. It <laughs> was ridiculous. The time was ridiculous because they didn't want it to conflict with Monday night football. But I see we're going to be watching some afternoon games uh, here on in. So I guess we have to get used to it. Well, at least for the, but I will, I will tell you, Nancy, see, I, I, for me personally, okay, this is just Jeff Wagner. It couldn't work out better because I'll be out there Thursday, do my show from Miller Park from noon to three, and then I'm going to the game Thursday. You know, the game is at like three fifteen or something. Do my show from noon to two, and then go to the game. It could not work out better for me. So, um, some people are going to have to call in sick. But sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm going to turn in your show. I didn't know you'd be broadcasting from there. So absolutely. Thanks for all the good the history of the Brewers. That's a nice walk down memory lane. Good thank enough. You. Well, thank you, Nancy. I appreciate. It. No, no, no. I'm just just a just a huge fan. I've I've been I've been here since the Brewers came here, and it's just and let I mean let's face it. I mean Brewers fans. You know, we we are long suffering. You know, I mean, there were years and years where the team was not competitive, and I think a lot of us thought that there was going to be this long rebuilding process after they just you know broke down the team after 2013 or so, and or 2014, and it's it's just taken off. It's just amazing. Okay, I'm getting overwhelmed here. Uh, that's on the the text line. Um. Let's see. Why would you listen to anybody but you know Euchre? Well, that's that that that's the idea. I mean, I, I admit I got I got lazy because I didn't have an AM radio in the room where I was watching it. But I I went down after the fifth inning. 
I couldn't stand it anymore. And I went down and I, I put up with the delay. Um, you know, you know, what, what can you say? Casey in Watertown says, I listened to work on my radio, came home and put on the TV, could not stand the announcers. I also often thought they were Simpsons characters, got back in my car and went for a ride to listen to Bob Euchre. Yeah. That, well, that, that, that's what it really tells you. I can't stand to watch the TV coverage. I'm going to get in my car and hear it. Here's another text. Jeff, I totally agree. I couldn't stand it. Tuned on WTMJ and Bob and Jeff, even with the delay, it was so much better. Go Brewers, which does, again, bring me to the point. If, if you don't have tickets to the game on Thursday, and the game is pretty much a sellout from what I'm being told, and you still want to take it in with Brewers fans and you want the radio feed, come down to our big watch party, Turner Hall, you know, right across from the where the Bradley Center was, and we're going to have all sorts of activities, but we're going to have the TV feed synced up to Mr. Baseball. Um, it's free. So um, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun, and, and we're all very, very excited about this. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, how much more of this stuff are we going to take before we say enough is enough? Stick around. 1250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And Broxton jumps. He got another. Come on, Keon. Get out of here. What a play. Two straight days he's taken home runs away. That time may be better than all the others. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. He, by the way, Keon Broxton is one of the nicest guys you would ever want to. I mean, he wasn't on the opening day roster this year, but he was the two previous years. Had a chance to interview him and dug out. Nicest guy. Nicest nicest guy in the world. And I I admit, I, I pull for him. In particular, just because he's such a nice, such a good young man. All right, here's one of our other texters who had the same experience I did. Jeff, you would have thought the game was over after Rizzo hit the home run, even though they were tied. Then they continued on and on about how Craig Council will go down as the coach that left his starter in too long. Yeah, he had he had a no-hitter at that point in time. If anything, I was criticizing Council for not giving Chassin the last out of the inning. I switched to radio after that. I did as well. Um, all right, then we have a text... Why can't 620 delay the feed for the playoffs so it can match the TV? Seems possible and easy and great. Um, well, first of all, it, it's not easy. And I, I will I will leave this to people who understand the, the mechanics of this a lot more than me. But part of the problem is, what do you sync it to? Because Dish TV is different than Direct TV. The delays are different, which the the time, the, the spectrum cable, the HD delay is different than if you're not on HD. It's, it's, I know it would seem simple, but it's actually a lot more complicated than, than you think. So, uh, but I, I defer to other people with that. All right. Coming up in about 10 minutes, the latest on the Brett Kavanaugh thing. And I admit, just like I was screaming at the TV during the ESPN broadcast yesterday, I have been screaming at the television with some of the coverage of the Brett Kavanaugh situation. We are going to discuss whether or not it matters to his Supreme Court appointment if once when he was in college, he got into an altercation at a bar. We will discuss it. That is what we have come to in this country now. But before that, I want to double back on something that I, I mentioned at the start of the show, which is how seriously, how much more of this stuff are we going to take around here? The last couple days, it rained. We did not have cataclysmic rains. We didn't have Noah come out and build an ark type of rains. We had a couple inches of rain, right? It, it wasn't 
It wasn't anything dramatic. You didn't have rivers flowing their banks. You didn't have massive flooding. You had a couple inches of rain. Certainly a routine sort of event. And for the sixth time this year, MMSD had to dump untreated wastewater. In other words, it means stuff from your toilets. Untreated got dumped into Lake Michigan. And this doesn't even account the, the, what they do with is blending, which is where they take untreated wastewater, including stuff from people's toilets, and they throw, you know, some, uh, like some, some, uh, you know, antibacterial stuff on it, and then they dump that out into the lake. That doesn't even include that. I mean, here's the story. MMSD has tied an environmentally unfriendly record of six overflows of combined sanitary and storm sewers in one year that was set in 1999, the most since the deep tunnel's first full year of operation in 1994. Then it talks about how district officials ordered the closing of the deep tunnel 945 Monday as it rapidly filled after a day of intense rains. Well, it it rained hard, but again, this wasn't anything out of the ordinary. More than two inches of rain fell on Monday. So again, what they're doing is, for the sixth time this year, because the deep tunnel filled up so quickly with moderate rain that they ended up having to dump stuff into area waterways into and to Lake Michigan. You know, we've reviewed the bidding on this time after time. The reason this happens, and I don't criticize MMSD because MSD, their choice is, do we dump poop into the waterways or do we allow the poop to back up into people's basements and cause millions of dollars of damage? Well, you can't allow that to happen. But the issue is, why do we have a system that we depend on that continues to dump poop into Lake Michigan and into the area waterways? And the answer is simple. Because the MMSD, the whole the deep tunnel, is a flawed system. What we should have done decades ago was separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers in parts of Milwaukee and in parts of Shorewood. That's what is creating this whole problem because, again, the the stormwater runoff, does it hurt to treat it? No, it, it doesn't, but it doesn't need to be treated. What needs to be treated is the stuff that comes from people's bathtubs and their toilets, the sanitary sewer stuff, but yet because... We've never bit the bullet and made people in Milwaukee and Shorewood pay to do what should have been done and what is done in most communities, which is separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers. You have all this storm water that runs into the deep tunnel, fills it up, mixes with the stuff from the sanitary sewer, and then, again, causes all these problems. And it is just amazing to me that you have all these particular liberals who live in Milwaukee and on the trendy side in Shorewood who don't seem concerned about the fact that we are dumping poop on a regular basis into Lake Michigan. And the reason they're not concerned about it is they recognize that they would be the ones that have to pay for separating the sanitary sewers in the People's Republic of Shorewood and in Milwaukee. Well, all right, at what point in time, again, are the environmentally concerned people going to rise up and say the deep tunnel system just isn't, you can't build a tunnel that's deep enough, let's bite the bullet and let's do what should have been done all along. The hypocrisy of this is absolutely stunning. All right, when we come back, we're talking Brett Kavanaugh. Stick around, 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Politics 108. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, Eric, I'm going to ask you a question, but I want a fair warning. I want to, I want you to be careful about this because your answer is there for posterity because okay. we podcast this show every day. And as a matter of fact, I saw the numbers for last month. Thousands of people subscribe to the podcast and, and listen to it. I appreciate that very much. If you can't hear all three hours of the show, you can go back, go to WTMJ.com, our mobile app, and you can subscribe to the podcast. And you get notified every day when my producer group uh, posts it. So, so check that all out. But, but Eric, be careful because now what you're about to say, it's going to be up there on the podcast mm, okay. forever. All right? <laughs> forever. Here is my question to you. Have you, back when you were in college, were you ever involved in a barroom brawl? Uh, yes. Yes, you were involved in a barroom brawl. All right, back in college, would you like to share? I was working at one of the campus bars, and yes. things got out of hand, and I had to help escort some gentlemen out of the bar, and it didn't work out that well, and some fists were thrown, and I was the little guy who was able to dodge most of it, but still it became a thing. Okay, so you were you were one of the, the peacemakers. Yeah, you I was were, a bartender asking you, folks to leave. Okay, got so caught you, up in it. You, right, so you got you just got caught up in the, the melee yes, and things yeah. like that. You were you were never an instigator or a participant <laughs> no. or something like no. that. All right, no. but 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 you were. Now, if you were a bartender, would there be in your mind a difference between a barroom brawl and what I would describe as an altercation in, in a bar. I think altercations likely happen all the time. Well, right. That I mean, now, now to me, when, when I hear the term barroom brawl, I'm picturing something out of the movies. You know, I, I'm chairs. picturing something, right, like, like a John Wayne saloon thing where people have got chairs and they're banging them over each other's heads and, and everybody's on tables. I mean, that's what yeah, I think of yeah. when I think of with a brawl, it's like, okay, you know, we've got... You know, you know, police showing up with arrest wagons. You know, whereas a, an altercation, I, I think of as all right. Maybe you have somebody that's too much to drink. Maybe not. You have somebody that's obnoxious, and and maybe it's language back and forth, mm-hmm. and maybe somebody mm-hmm. throws a drink or whatever. But that I, I in your mind, there's a difference between an altercation oh, for sure. and a brawl. The yeah. the latter altercation that's a Tuesday night for many bars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, ex- exactly. I, I I think so as well. All right. Well, I appreciate your honesty. All right, that's not going to get him in too much trouble. I, I and look, and I, I'm about to tell you a story right now, which will I, I guess this will guarantee if there's any chance that I would ever be nominated to the United States Supreme Court. That this story, I'm about ready to kill it. I mean, th- th- this is it because. I have been, I mean, I distinctly remember, it's not just a barroom brawl. It was an altercation in in a strip club. Now, I, I look, I, I drink, I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm very, very conscious, and I always have been about drunken driving. And plus, alcohol just makes me sleepy. Some people get obnoxious. Some people get fun. I, I just get tired. <laughs> that's, that, that's it. I, I, I just get tired. So I, I, I do not drink to excess. I'm not saying I never have, but I, I, I just I don't. But I remember there was a time when um, it was between college and law school, and I was working downtown Milwaukee at a, an insurance company, as a matter of fact, and a bunch of the guys I worked with, they went to the Brewers game. We went to the Brewers game, watched the Brewers game, and then a number of them, I'm, I'm single at the time, a number of them wanted to go out to this kind of like divey strip club downtown, which is the last time I have been in a Milwaukee strip club. But I, I went with them, and I, I actually, so we're, we're sitting in there, and, and at one point in time, one of the guys that I am with, 
this would have been probably 1979-ish or so, one of the guys I was with decided it would be a good idea to to get up on the stage and dance with the young lady. Well, obviously, the, the people that ran the club did not think that that was such a good idea. And so my coworker who got up on the stage, all of a sudden, all these bouncers come and they throw them out. And then, even though the rest of us had nothing to do, or at least I certainly had nothing to do with trying to get up on the stage, we were also asked to leave. So, I mean, I'm, I get tossed out of the strip club. I, I admit it, I'm sitting there thinking, huh, I've just gotten tossed out of this divey strip club. <laughs> How do you end up doing that? But I, I admit, now, was it a brawl? No. Was it an altercation? Well, you know, maybe the bouncers threw my friend out and then asked the rest of us to leave. And, you know, I, I, I left and didn't show up in my FBI background check when I got a job for the U.S. Attorney's Office. Didn't didn't stop me from the other stuff. But I, I admit this was something that, that happened between college and, and law school. And it's one particular night. No fight, no police reports. We got tossed out of this bar. I don't know nowadays if that story, which is true, I fully fess up to it, I, I wonder if that now is disqualifying for higher office because th- apparently you, you can't do stuff like this anymore. Now, here's the latest with the Brett Kavanaugh thing, and, and let us let us be real clear here. Democrats have pulled out all stops to try to thwart the Kavanaugh nomination. You had the hearings last week accusing the man of being a sexual predator. USA Today, and I sent out a tweet about this over the weekend, ran a piece over the weekend where they suggested that Brett Kavanaugh should not, in fact, be allowed to coach his daughter's basketball team because he may, in fact, be a sexual predator. And then USA had to back off on that and face the reaction. But that's what you're getting nowadays, that this guy, who has pretty much led an exemplary life, he's now being accused of, of being a sexual predator because of well, people that are coming out of the woodwork and saying this happened without any sort of corroboration back when he was in high school. Well, here's here's the latest. And I have uh, a number of versions of of this. But uh, the, one of the ones that really caught my attention was this piece, the way they presented it in the Sa- Seattle Times. The headline, Kavanaugh was involved in bar brawl at Yale. And that's the way it's being presented, a bar brawl. Now, again, when I think of, of bar brawl, I, I'm thinking of this knockdown, drag-out thing where you got tables being busted and chairs and things alike. Here's apparently what happened. There, There is a guy who has now come forward, and the story is this occurred in September of 1985 when Judge Kavanaugh was a junior at Yale. All right? So there's there's a bar off of the Yale campus, place is called Demery's, and it's it's one of these kind of college hangouts, you know, college hangouts, and they serve pizza, they serve pitchers of beer and stuff like that. So Kavanaugh and his friends, they go to, there's a UB40 concert, September 25th, September 25th of 1985. They remember the details, and apparently... Kavanaugh and Judge Kavanaugh and his buddies, he's a junior in college, they're sitting there having beers, all right, after this concert. There's other people that are sitting there having beers. So it's a crowded college hangout. At one point, this is the way the story goes, they were sitting near a man who they thought resembled the lead singer of UB40. And apparently they're looking at this guy saying, hey, is that the guy from UB40? Is that the, the singer? 
the man <clears throat> noticed Kavanaugh and his buddies looking at him and, and talking about him. And then apparently the guy started cursing at Judge Kavanaugh's group. What are you looking at? Blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank. And then, according to the story, after being cursed out, Judge Kavanaugh threw ice or a, a beer towards the guy who was cursing at him. At that point in time, they say the guy then swung at Brett. And at that point in time, you know, one of the other guys who was with Judge Kavanaugh kind of intervened and chucked a glass. All right, so bottom line is nobody gets arrested as a result of this. The guys get tossed out of the bar. The whole groups get tossed out of the bar. The cops show up. They take a police report. They write this off as, okay, this is, you know, this this is just, a you know, a, a Friday night in a college bar, and everybody goes on their ways. This is now being presented as, again, a bar brawl from 1985. What are we in now? We're in 2018. A bar brawl when he was a junior in college that questions his temperament and his integrity. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now, I, w- I want to be honest here. Guys, and and I don't know about the female experience, but but guys, you know, if you were in college in the 70s and 80s, can, can I see a show of hands from people who weren't involved in, in some sort of altercation? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, the police arresting 50 and 60 people and people being sent to the emergency room. But my guess is there's a lot of people in their college experience, whether it's UW-Madison or La Crosse or Eau Claire or Oshkosh, who might have had a situation where some guy curses at you, you throw a beer at him, and next thing you know, everybody's tossed out of the bar. But here's the bigger point. Should this be disqualifying? Because this is where we are in 2018. The headlines are Kavanaugh involved in bar brawl. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, I was in the uh, bar where uh, glasses started flying and everything, and then we just said, get the F out of here. And I wasn't involved in it, but uh, this is just ridiculous. I'm, I'm just thinking... Uh, where are we? Is anyone that wants to run for office going to run for office after this? Well, right, especially any sort of conservative. I, I mean, this it's, idea it's that they're going to. Right. I mean, I, I told you my story at the script. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I have no recollection of when I was in college and stuff getting in any sort of argument or altercation. But but who knows? There might be somebody else out there saying, no, oh, I was with Jeff Wagner in 1974 or 1976. And he, he did that. I don't know one way or the other. But I'm, I mean, do I know I was never arrested. I know, you know, was I ever a witness to something? I don't remember it. But but this is where we are, where we're looking for this minutia in people's lives and giving folks, you know, a proctological exam to try to determine whether they can be a judge all because he's anti-abortion. If he was pro-abortion, you know that none of this would be going on. Yeah, ask anyone in Congress if they uh, did anything like this, and uh, they, should re- they should resign. Well, right, right. Thanks, thanks for the call. I mean, exactly. Now, like I say, it'd be one thing if the guy had a baseball bat and you know, put six people in the hospital by breaking skull. Okay, but but that's that's not what happened. You have an altercation, and I'm not even describing it as a bar. You have an altercation in a bar. And then the police come, they ask a couple questions, and send everybody on their way. And now this is being dredged up 30-plus years later. Kevin in Jefferson. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, I was at UW-Madison from 86 to 90. 
we didn't call the cops because someone threw ice at someone or just bumped them or hit them with a pew stick or something. Oh, my God. That happened. I guess Yale has a higher bar or something like that. Unbelievable. I mean, I guess no one who graduated from UW is eligible to do anything. <laughs> well, well, right. So, so what you're saying is cursing, you know, two guys getting into an argument at a Madison bar and cursing at each other and maybe one pushing the other or something like that. That that's Tuesday night at a lot of the bars in Madison. Wednesday, Wednesday huh? Thursday, flashing a glass of ham to someone because they bumped your girlfriend or yeah. talked smack about you or whatever. I, if you showed up in an Iowa T-shirt, you bounced out automatically. Right, right. No, they, I mean, again, it's look. If I, I mean, I understand if you have somebody who is again, involved in criminal conduct or assaults and stuff, but the way this is being presented is, oh, here you have this guy that's this out-of-control drunk that's, you know, getting into these bar brawls and stuff, and I'm thinking, okay, what what's this all about? Oh, okay, they're looking at some guy, he starts cursing at him back, you throw a beer at someone, I mean, I, I don't know, beers get thrown at ball games all the time as well. Does that mean that nobody can be a justice on the Supreme Court? 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. I really think this is, we, we have gone through the rabbit hole on this. We, we really have. And, you know, whether Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed on Friday to the U.S. Supreme Court or not, we, we have taken a very, very dangerous step towards, I think, particularly the, the vilification of conservatives. And I think, number one, there's going to be some backlash. And number two, there's going to be some residual effects. Who wants to get involved in this? Who wants to get, have your children? You know, who wants to have somebody who's had essentially an exemplary career just dragged through the mud? We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I love playing these guys. It's fun baseball. It's tough baseball. It's good baseball. It's challenging baseball. So we're, um, if that's the challenge in front of us, you know, we know it's a big challenge and we're looking forward to it. One twenty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Becky in Burlington. Hi, Becky. Hi. They need to leave the guy alone. I mean, we've all got a history. We've all got a past. God forbid they dig into the skeletons of the reporters. <laughs> right. And if anybody else climbs on his behind, he's going to have to install handrails. <laughs> Leave the guy alone. Well, well, right. I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, if if the man was truly a sexual predator, that I, I get it. But that that's not what this is all about. This no, is the all-out. She said. Right. This is the all-out scorched-earth effect of trying to deny Donald Trump a second appointment on the Supreme Court. And and I guess whether like I say whether it's Brett Kavanaugh or it's somebody else. I mean, now if you're particularly conservative and the president calls you and says, "Hey, I'm thinking about elevating you to the Supreme Court." Now you're sitting there thinking, "My god, you know, was what was I in college when I was in college, did I ever get into an argument in a bar that's now going to be dredged up from 35 years ago? Who's going to want to sign up for this?" And, I mean, we've gone such a negative way, I mean, countrywide. It's like, is there really nothing positive you can report on? Well, I, again, get it, over it. well, no, thanks for calling back. And, and, and let, I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, this is the war the left is declaring on Judge Kavanaugh. And, and I said this last week. I think he's going to be confirmed, but maybe I'm wrong. If if he ends up getting voted down, well, then what the president should do is he should have another name up there next Monday, 
And again, then we're going to see the same sort of attempted examination as the left does everything it possibly can to try to deny him, uh, to deny Trump an appointment. But it's sooner or later, you you kind of run out of of steam. And I, I, if I were President Trump, I would have somebody prepared to go in the event the Senate turns down Brett Kavanaugh. But I mean, have we really crossed the bridge now? I mean, is this now the new standard that anytime somebody is nominated for higher office or a position like this, that now this is going to be it? We're going to go back and we're going to look at, you know, high school behavior and we're going to say, all right, you can have some uncorroborated allegation that hasn't ever been publicly, publicly voiced. And now it's going to come out and we're going to use that. And, and by the way, when he testified in front of his hearing, he seemed angry. Well, I don't know about you, but if I were Brett Kavanaugh, I'd be mad as you know what. You know, when, when you're getting death threats and you're being accused of being a predator or something for something that, you know, at least at this point in time is completely and totally uncorroborated, you, you, you expect him to just be passive and say, well, thank you for this. I mean, again, I don't know what's going to happen. Trump is going to get an appointment to the Supreme Court, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh or someone else. And so you are going to have the conservative majority. But we've really gone through the rabbit hole on this. My goodness gracious. He was involved in an altercation in a bar where the police had to come out and then sent everybody home. Hmm. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Especially with this, uh, this bus ride we got back home, uh, it's uh, it's definitely nice to have an off day and, and relax and, and enjoy this win and enjoy winning the division. I mean, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment, especially, uh, you know, for, for us and, and this organization, a huge accomplishment. And, you know, we're proud to be a part of this organization, and I'm definitely happy to be here. Thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. A number of texters are making the point that there is a there's a certain degree of hypocrisy that a number of the same people who are denouncing Brett Kavanaugh because gee he might have been involved in an altercation in a bar that didn't result in any sort of criminal charges and no arrests thirty-five years ago when he was in college are the same people who are saying that Randy Bryce should get elected and be sent to Congress. This is Randy Bryce, who has, of course, an arrest record longer than most of our arms. I do note the hypocrisy that's there. All right, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. We talked about this story when it first occurred, and I I admit that I expressed some skepticism on this and, and the idea that does everything have to be about race? Well, now we have a few more details about it. Right. The woman's name is Sheila Stubbs. She is a Dane County supervisor, and she is running for state assembly. Now, the way this works, this, ha- this story I'm about to tell you about, if you haven't heard it, happened in early August uh, of this year. So it happened a couple months ago. She was one of a it, – it's Dane County, so you're talking about Madison. And so whoever – there wasn't a Republican running. So whoever won the Democrat primary was going to go to the state assembly, and she happened to win, all right? She has gone public with this story. What happens is August 7th, she's parked in this economically depressed Madison neighborhood. And it is in the district. And she's she's doing what candidates do. She's knocking on doors, talking to constituents. That's what assembly candidates do. And she's parked. Apparently, what happens is her mother is driving the car. And her daughter is in the back seat of the car, and so they're parked on this block while she goes up and down knocking on doors. All right. Well, what happens is 
somebody calls the police. And the police report says, fully occupied silver four-door sedan, newer model, thinks they are waiting for drugs at the local drug house, would like them moved along. So somebody makes this call. Now, again, the, the woman, she's knocking on doors. The driver is her 71-year-old mother and her 8-year-old daughter, granddaughter, I'm sorry, great-year-old granddaughter is in the back seat. So a police officer comes out, they get this call to check it out, and goes up and, and talks to her. And she says, no, we're, this, this is my mother, this is my granddaughter, I, I'm running for office. And the officer says, okay, sorry, well, we got this call and we just came to check it out. So no harm, no foul, they go on their way. Well, the, the lady, the woman who's going to be in the state assembly, she goes public with this. And she, of course, you know, plays the race card in, in a big way. She says that um, she's just, she's heartbroken. She's going to have to explain to her daughter, the eight-year-old who's in the car, what happened. She's heartbroken. She's humiliated. It's 2018. It shouldn't be strange that a black woman's knocking on your door. I didn't do anything to make myself stand out. I felt like they thought I didn't belong here. Now, she's real clear. She's not, she's not upset with the police officer that came out. But she's upset with whoever it was that called this in. Then she says, I belong where I choose to go. You don't have to like me. You don't even have to respect me. But I have a right to be places. Um, she said she'd been in the neighborhood for 20 minutes. She'd knocked on five or six doors. But she found it degrading, humiliating, insulting that somebody had, had called the police on her. And she immediately says, oh, this has to be because I was a black woman in, in this, this area. And there was a car that was parked there. All right. Now we talked about this at the time and, and my, my attitude at the time was, well, maybe there's, there, there is, is more to this story. Well, apparently the lady, Sheila Stubbs, has received a, a letter, um, that, that it's anonymous, but it's written by the person who claims to have been the one who made the phone call. And, and here's what the, the letter says. The letter says, I never called the police on you, but rather I called the police to report about a car that was sitting idle. person said, I didn't see you knocking on any doors. Um, the person who, who writes this letter, and this is kind of the background of the place, they said, look, this house has been a, a problem. There is a drug house on this block. The drug house was active throughout the night and that cars would wait for dealers to return when no one was home. They also say people camped out in the house's backyard as well. Um, So the the guy says, this is a drug, or whoever wrote the letter said, this is a drug house. Uh, All I saw, and we have a problem with cars that were parked, and people would sit, and they would wait for the drug dealers to come home, and they would wait and await. And, yeah, I saw this car that was parked there, and yes, I, I called the the police. Apparently, since June of 2017, police had been called to this property 26 times. Um, other calls involved suspected drug dealing. So the the point is, you know, at least the the person writing this letter is saying, look, this wasn't about your race. This was about you know the neighborhood. And this was an area, you're parked right down the street from a neighborhood drug house. 
the car was parked. It had been there for a period of time. And, and yeah, we called the police to check it out. And the police came and they checked it out. And they found out that you weren't waiting to buy drugs. And everybody went on their way. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, for her part, the lady who's going to be in the assembly, she's saying, I'm not accepting this. I don't consider it to be an apology. Well, I don't consider it to be an apology either. I consider it to be an explanation. And to me, it is a perfectly rational and reasonable explanation. As I have said before, don't we tell people, if you see something, say something. And if, you know, you're in an area, there's a drug house on a block, you have a problem with cars that are parking, waiting for the drug dealers to come home, is it unreasonable to to make a phone call when you see a car parked? And is this is this an attempt to humiliate or degrade a, a, a woman who, you know, a black woman who's running for office? Or is it a, a reasonable type of response for neighbors who care about their neighbors to ha- their neighborhood to have four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You know, I said this at the time, and I say it again. I don't think the person who made this call did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I think this played out exactly like it was supposed to play out. You've got a you've got a neighborhood that's got problems. Apparently, there is a house that they've had all sorts of problems, including calls about drug activity in the past. The pattern is cars will park in front of the house. Guy sees this car that is parked in front of the house. You call the cops. The cops come out. They investigate. They determine it's not a drug deal. Everybody goes on their own way. Why should that be humiliating or degrading to the woman who's running for state assembly? All she simply says is, no, this isn't me. I'm knocking on doors. I'm talking to potential constituents. Isn't this a no harm, no foul deal? And isn't this, I guess, how we want people to operate particularly in these higher crime areas or areas where you've got a suspected drug house? Don't we want people making calls to the police? 414-799-1620. Should we be concerned that, gee, if it turns out we're wrong and these aren't drug dealers, well, now we're going to all get labeled as being racists? Or is this something that's positive? And by the way, we don't know the race of the person that, that made the complaint one way or the other. Don't know if they're white or black. They apparently said in the letter that they're, they don't want to give their name because... They are afraid that they will be vilified, and I think there's some merit to that. 414-799-1620, did the person who make the, made this call under these circumstances do anything wrong? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 145. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, uh, I, I definitely want to make sure this, this worked out because uh, this is where I started my career, you know. Uh, actually, I, I was kind of upset when I got traded in the first place. But, uh, I understand it's busy sometimes. But uh, actually, I, I want to come back and uh, I want to bring this village, you know, that I felt in KC. I want to share this with my real friends and front office and everybody involved. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Marcus in Menominee Falls. Hi, Marcus. Hi, good morning. Hi, what do you think? I have a logical question, and that is, would the woman running for office have called and made the complaint had she been in an all-black neighborhood? Uh, I don't know. It's my, my understanding this is kind of a, a mixed neighborhood, is my understanding. You, you would, uh, your answer, you probably tend to think no would be my sense, huh? Uh, I, I would go with no, correct. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The thing, I guess, I, I think, you know, look... Sometimes stuff just happens. It doesn't, 
I, I guess it's so frustrating to me that we always view this thing, this stuff during the, through the prism of, of race. I mean, in this particular situation, and the, the lady, she, the, the candidate, the woman who's going to be the, the assembly person, she's still re- refusing to accept. So I, I don't see this as an apology. Well, I don't think the guy or the gal, whoever wrote that, I don't think they're apologizing, but I don't think they need to apologize. You know, you're, you live in a neighborhood, this particular house that the car is parked either in front of or right down the street from had had 27 calls um, in the last year, including multiple calls for drug trafficking. The neighbors say this is what happens. If the dealers aren't home, what ends up happening is cars will sit and wait for them. All right, so you see this car that's parked and it's idling, and, and that that's what you see. Now, I understand there's a 71-year-old lady that's driving the car, and there's an 8-year-old in the back, and the woman's campaigning on the block. All right, I, I understand they did nothing wrong, but why do you automatically assume it, it's racism in this regard? You know, in this case, the person who wrote the letter said it wasn't racism. I'm This is this is the deal. I saw this car idling, um, and yes, we've had this problem in the past, and I called the police. As I've said before, we, we tell people, if you see something, say something. Because I would think most people, if you cared about your neighborhood and you were trying to, I don't know, move drug dealers along or give the police the basis to close down drug houses or whatever, I think most people would appreciate a, an active neighborhood that's that's making this call and this particular person should they have i don't know should they've gone over and walked over the car and looked in the car and said oh it's a 71 year old lady and an eight-year-old girl in the back seat well they can't be drug dealers well i mean that's a lot to expect it's more like oh there's another car that's parked in front of the damn drug house i'm fed up with this i'm going to call the police i think it sounds like a perfectly normal reaction now again they weren't drug dealers and the, the police handled this perfectly appropriately, but it's the playing the race card in a situation like this that I think is so frustrating for a lot of people, absent any other evidence. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. Only on the People's Republic of Madison could probably somebody get away with pulling the race card and somebody calling the cops on a car parked out in front of a known drug house. Yep. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. It, it's just in a... In an, right. That's a, that's about it. And so now everybody's apologizing. They're walking on eggshells. The police came out. They, they investigated. They apparently treated the lady with respect. They did a quick investigation. They determined there was nothing to see here. And then everybody went their own way. But now you have this woman say, Oh, I'm humiliated. It was degrading. I, you, you would have thought she would say, Hey, I'm apologize. I'm, I'm thrilled that we've got constituents who are so engaged and I'm going to pledge. I'm going to, instead of complaining about this, she should be saying, I'm going to pledge to do everything I can to clean up these neighborhoods and try to close down places like this so people don't feel like they're prisoners in their own homes. You know, one would think that would be the case, but uh, apparently not out in Madison. Uh, th- thanks for well. I, at least, uh, again, the, the, the community did the right thing. The Madison police did the right thing. This was one where I, I just think for whatever purposes, this whole thing gets kind of blown up and you have a, a racial element introduced where at least there doesn't appear to be any sort of objective evidence that there was a racial element that was here. Everybody did their job. The person saw something that arguably looked suspicious. Maybe in other circumstances, maybe in other circumstances, the, the car wouldn't be suspicious. But in this case, parked in the vicinity of a drug house 
with a history where drug dealers would sit and wait for people to come home. It's reasonable to make a call to the cops. The cops come out, they investigate, they determine there's nothing to see here. Everybody goes their own ways. But this continues to be a story because, again, some people want to view everything through a racial prism. And as I say often, there's real racism in this world. I get that. But maybe we'd be better off concentrating on the real instances of racism in try, instead of trying to I know, create issues where none really exist. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I mean, it was great to see how many Brewers fans made the trip and were able to show out today. And I'm glad we were able to win that one for them, for those that made the trip and came down here to support us. And I know it means a lot to them, and it means a lot to us as well. And, uh, it was an unbelievable win. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ Radio presents the Hometown Call at Turner Hall. It's a viewing party for Game 1 of the NLDS series this Thursday. The free event, did I say it's free, will feature a massive movie screen broadcast at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Turner Hall right across from uh, the Bradley Center. Massive movie screen broadcast at Turner Hall Ballroom of Game 1 of the National League Division Series between the Brewers and either the Cubs or the Rockies. It's going to be synced to Hall of Famer Bob Euchre's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Doors open at 3 p.m. this Thursday. First pitch is at 4 o'clock, so if you can't get tickets to the game, this is the next best place to be. Don't have to listen to the ESPN broadcast. You can hear Euchre do it. It's all synced up. This is the place to be, so come and check that out. All right, coming up in less than 10 minutes. All right. Your kid doesn't make the varsity team. What do you do? Well, in American 2018, you sue. Motorcycles driving between cars, just what we need. And UWM, well, they're getting rid of faculty members in disciplines that nobody wants to take. Oh, the horror. Stick around. That's all coming up. Before that, though, you know, credit where credit is due. President Trump. And I, I I think he has been wrong when he's picked a fight o- over tariffs. I, I think I think he's been wrong. I think he's approached a lot of this like, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, and maybe you need a scalpel, and he's gone after it with a sledgehammer. But credit where credit is due. He, he said the U.S. was backing out of NAFTA, and he wanted to get better terms. And he set deadlines. He's cut a deal with Mexico that has better trade terms for the U.S. than NAFTA did. Canada... Canada didn't want to give in. Canada was fighting him. He set a deadline, and yesterday, Canada capitulated. So you're going to have, we're not going to use the word NAFTA, but you're going to have a new agreement which has better terms for the United States, and particular when it comes to Wisconsin dairy farmers, it's going to be better for them. So credit where credit is due. In this particular case, President Trump stuck to his guns, and as a result from trade agreements with Mexico and Canada, I think we are better off. So, again, for everybody who's dealing with Donald Trump is like dealing with the devil. In this case, give the devil his due. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Now, I, this is something that I, I, I cannot relate to very well because my my high school athletic career was limited in the extreme. Limited because I just wasn't very athletically inclined. You know, we all have the things that we do and, you know, and, and 
some of us have different type of skills, and you have to figure that out. So, I mean, I, I was never going to be a starter on the basketball team, and I certainly wasn't going to be a starter on the football team or anything like that. Not to say I didn't have an interest in sports, but I just I was not that that good. All right, so here's the deal. There is typically a progression in high school sports. Now, it varies depending on the size of the school and how many kids go out, but you have a lot of times you'll have a, a freshman team that's you know exclusively for freshmen, and then you'll have a junior varsity team, and then you'll have a, a varsity team, right? It's got you've got the flow. In some cases, what they do is the freshman team and the junior varsity team, it it's it's the same. That that's that kind of overlaps and then you've got the varsity. But you know, it, it all just it depends. And there is there is a progression when we come to interscholastic sports. And the truth is, not everybody can make the varsity team. There's a limit on the number of people that can play. So here's the deal. There is this high school in St. Louis, Ledoux High School, high school. And, and what they have is for soccer, they have a varsity team and a junior varsity team. Got it? And so the freshmen get mixed in with the kids who are on the junior varsity team. That That's the way it goes. And ultimately, and then you've got the varsity team. The way they have the system set up, now follow me here, is that you're not eligible to play on the junior varsity team after your sophomore year. So after you play for two years, you, you can play, you come in, you want to play, you can play as a freshman and you're on the junior varsity team. And you can play as a sophomore on the junior varsity team. But the way it works, and they do this because of the number of kids that can play, etc., is by the time by the time you hit your junior year in high school, you either have to be you have to make the varsity team or you're you're out. They don't allow they don't allow juniors to play on the junior varsity team because that's for Again, the freshmen and for the sophomores, right? So that, that's kind of the background. And they make no bones about it. It's sort of like an up or out sort of thing. You, if, you know, you get two years to play on the junior varsity team. If you haven't cracked varsity by then, well, you're, you're gone because you have to make way for other people. All right. Which brings us to the, this one kid. Um, he is now in this situation. He is a junior. He's played on the junior varsity team. And he's played on the junior varsity team for two years. The mom says he's good enough to make the junior varsity team for another year. He's not good enough to to play on the varsity. So he didn't make the varsity after two years. But she says, hey, he's good enough. He's, after two years on the junior varsity team, he's better than some of these incoming freshmen that they have. But because they have this policy that you get two years on the junior varsity and then you're out, he has now been booted off of the junior varsity team to make way for younger players. Well, mom doesn't think that this is fair. She says that my son is being a victim of age and gender discrimination because apparently there's different rules for the girls' soccer team because they don't have as many players is, is essentially it. But this school, the reason they do this on the soccer teams is they only know, they've got enough players for this is their progression, and in, in order to give everybody a chance to play the first two years to determine who's going to be good enough to make varsity, they, they've they, they've just got to keep this rolling thing. 
So the mom says, hey, my son is being discriminated against simply because he's a junior. They're not letting him play on the junior varsity team anymore. And now mom has run into court and mom is suing, again, alleging that her son's rights have been violated because they're not giving him a third year on the junior varsity team. And again, the the school says, look, you know, this varies depending on how many students try out for a certain sport and how many spots there are on on the team. And in this case, the way we run boys soccer is you got two years on junior varsity, and then unless you make it, if you're not good enough for varsity after that, boom, you're gone. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mom is going into court saying her son is being discriminated against because he essentially can't be a permanent fixture on the junior varsity team. Does mom have a point? 414-799-1620. And apparently, I, I think we can maybe stipulate that after two years on the junior varsity, her kid is perhaps better then some incoming freshmen who are going to play on the junior varsity team, but the kid is getting bounced because he's already been on the team for two years. Is this fair? Does the lady have a point in her lawsuit? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I'm curious as to how you respond. We're going to discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unfair to the kid to toss him off the junior varsity team that he's been on for two years simply to make way for other players. We discuss in just a minute. And if something like this happened to you or your son or your daughter, be interested too. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Here it is. Ground ball towards the middle. It'll be fielded by Baez. A pump fake, and now they've got Yelich caught in a rundown. Yelich trying to stay in the rundown long enough as Kane's going to try and get to second base. Chatwood will finally run Yelich back to second. He's safe there. Nobody's covering first, and Kane is safe there. The Cubs get no one. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That might have been one of the plays of the year. I, I was at the ball game that night that happened, and I remember sitting in the stands going, show me the replay, because how, how did that happen? Just absolutely spectacular. Okay, 414-799-1620. If you're just tuning in, long story short, here's the deal. Uh, this high school has a policy that for, for boys' soccer, because of the number of people that participate, you can be on the junior varsity team for your freshman and sophomore year. After that, you either have to make varsity or... Or if you're not good enough to make varsity, you have to you're 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 out of the program um, because they they need to make way for some of the younger people that are coming in. She has a kid played the first two years in junior varsity. He's not good enough to make varsity. She she's suing, saying it's it's discrimination to force him off because he's better than some of these freshmen that are coming in. So if he's better, he should have a chance to play. Drew in Sheboygan. Drew, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, I think the school has got a, a, the proper stance in this. I do not think the mother's got a leg to stand on. If you're looking at it from the aspect of a freshman coming into that school system, that would almost be age discrimination to put a junior in the case where you've got a policy in place yeah. on a junior varsity team already. Um, if the kid can't make it, hey, mom, guess what? He's not going to make the pros. Let him sit the pines for the year. And let him try out again next year. He's right. Senior year to go for it. 
Right. Or, you know, get into clubs, you know, you know, go, you know, try to get into club activities or, or whatever. But, you know, this idea that, okay, you've been there for two years, so you should have a, a preference over the freshman when you probably got on the team in the first place because you got a bit of a preference as a freshman. To me, it, it's th- this, this is the ultimate, you know, helicopter slash lawnmower parent. And, uh, you know, what's the kid supposed to do here? The kid's not good enough. Sorry. Go find something else to do. Agreed. I, it, she's probably uh, one of the uh, one of the fallouts from the people giving out uh, award medals for participation. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Th- thanks for. I mean, I, look. That's why I started a story. I tell these stories on myself. I love sports, but I, I just wasn't good enough. You know, I. I just say I blame my parents. I don't. I love my parents. But I mean, I, I just, I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough. I, I just, I, I love sports and I could play on a certain level and have fun. But I wasn't going to be on the varsity basketball team. I wasn't going to be on the varsity football team. So you know what? I found something that I was real, real good at, and I did that, and it helped me, you know, develop a pretty good career. You know, led me to law school, led me to the radio, all those different types of things. But, <clears throat> but this idea that you're automatically entitled to something. No, I mean, if the kid's not good enough to crack varsity after two years, well, well, sorry, find something else to do. Al in Oak Creek. Al, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think there, uh, this is somewhat a matter of, of semantics here. I mean, the kid's a junior, and he wants to go out to the junior varsity team, and, you know, they could solve some of this by calling it what we used to call it when I was in high school. They called it the freshman-sophomore team. Uh, yes. Now, which is, you know, kind of the same thing, but that that made it very clear that a freshman and sophomore team is for the freshmen and the sophomores, and there there were never any juniors who went out for it, or I mean, who were allowed on it, or never even right. went out for it. You right, know, because it was very know. clear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe she thought the term junior varsity meant that you can have juniors on it. You know, eleventh graders. I mean, this is. Uh, uh, I, I I didn't even know they had that terminology anymore. Junior varsity. Yeah, well, no, it, that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, th- thanks for calling. See, I guess I'm trying to think. My granddaughter plays. She's a freshman, and she plays on a junior varsity on on the junior varsity volleyball team. She's actually quite a good volleyball player, and she plays junior varsity volleyball as, as a freshman. I I don't know. And, and I guess I, I've never, like I said, she's a freshman. It hasn't come up. I, I don't know if they have an up or an out thing, but most of the, the young ladies who are on the team, they're, they're not juniors and seniors on this junior varsity team. They're, they're, they're not. They are, I mean, they're, they're either freshmen or I assume there might be some sophomores on there too. But I mean, to me, I guess to me, this makes sense. You, you have, you, you kind of have this progression unless You've got enough kids. I mean, if you've got an enormous amount of kids and you've got the money to run the program and you want to have your own freshman team and you want to, you know, put on multiple junior varsity teams, that, okay, may, maybe so. But, you know, programs are going to have to depend. Now, I have a text here. Somebody says, school sports at a taxpayer funded specialty train, are, are tax, as a taxpayer funded specialty training and every kid who wants that training is entitled to it. No, 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 no. You are entitled to access to the, the regular class days. You are entitled to have, um, you're, you're entitled to like the gym classes and things like that, but you're, you're not entitled to, to make the team. I mean, I, there are, I, I would assume that there are places where they make cuts. You know, they, they have a limit on the number of kids that can play 
freshman football. There's a limit on the football teams. There's a, certainly a limit on the basketball teams. You know, if 50 kids, for example, if 50 boys try out for the boys' basketball team, for the freshman boys' basketball team, not all 50 are going to make it. You're, you're going to cut some of those people. I mean, it is a competitive sort of thing. So, again, I, I don't I don't have an issue with, with any of that. The The bottom line is that, you know, once you get to the high school level, it's not just everybody gets to participate. It's going to be, well, there is a progression. And if you're good enough to make the varsity, you make the varsity. If you're good enough to make the JV team, you make the JV team. But at some point in time, we've got an up or out thing that's going on. And I think that is a perfectly reasonable sort of thing. But beyond that, even if I didn't think it was personally reasonable, and even if I felt sorry for my son or my daughter, if they got bounced from the volleyball team or whatever, would I would I go to the extent of trying to sue the school district over it? No way. No way, no way, no way. I'd simply say, hey, hey, son, in this case, son, son, maybe you should like listen to this guy who does radio in Milwaukee. He's got a bunch of rules of life. And Wagner's rule of life, number one, is life is tough. Get a helmet. 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Saladino, line drive left center field. Pollock on the move. Dives. He can't get it. Yelich is going to score. Saladino on his way to third, and he will be waved around third. Here comes the throw. It's cut off. He's safe at home. And inside the park, home run for Tyler Saladino. It's 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so Saturday night was my anniversary. We went out to dinner, and as we do from time to time, we we, we split a salad. We each got separate entrees. We split a salad. It was great. Salad splitting is great. Coming up in about 10 minutes, I want to talk to you about something called lane splitting and people who think it would be a good idea in Wisconsin. I am not one of those people. Tolerant, compassionate, liberal update. Here's the story. Georgetown professor says white GOP senators deserve miserable deaths after the Kavanaugh hearing. An anti-Trump professor at Georgetown University um, has apparently Dr. Carol Christine Fair, an associate professor in the Securities Studies program at Georgetown, said white Republican senators, specifically Senator Lindsey Graham, who defended Kavanaugh in a fiery speech, deserve miserable deaths. Fair went on to say in her Saturday message that the living should, quote, castrate their corpses and feed them to the swine, end quote. Quote, look at this chorus of entitled white men justifying a serial rapist's irrigated, I'm sorry, Look at this chorus of entitled white men justifying a serial rapist's arrogated entitlement. All of them deserve miserable deaths, while feminists laugh as they try to take their last gasps. Bonus, we castrate their corpses and feed them to swine. Yes. <laughs> okay, Um. let's see. One Georgetown University student pointed out that the oldest Catholic university in America would not recruit students with this kind of behavior in their online portfolio. And now you have a professor that is doing that. That is a very, very interesting point. You know, your kid is trying to get into Georgetown. My guess is if your child had written something 
that was out there on the Internet suggesting that certain people deserve miserable deaths and should have their corpses castrated and fed to swine, my guess is that might send up a couple red flags. Line drive right center field. That's going to split the gap and go all the way to the wall. Kane comes in to score to tie. Yelich on his way to third. He is in. It's a cycle for Christian Yelich. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can argue. Now, I know you had the Robin Yount most valuable player years, but I... You can argue that this might be the greatest year that any Brewers player has ever had with Christian Yelich. Um, just, just absolutely incredible. And you hope that it, you just hope that it continues. It's amazing to me that, you know, teams, the, the, the rule is teams, you know, don't let him beat you. And so they walk him and they walk him and they walk him. And then when they pitch to him, he still finds a way to beat him. That is incredible. WTMJ Radio presents the hometown call at Turner Hall. It's a viewing party for Game 1 of the National League Division Series this Thursday. The free event will feature a massive movie screen broadcast at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Turner Hall, of course, is is right across the street from the Bradley Center. Turner Hall is where we, on the last several years, we've had our Christmas extravaganza. Um, Turner Hall Ballroom, Game 1 of the National League Division Series between the Brewers and either the Cubs or the Colorado Rockies. But here's the really cool thing. Um, it is going to be synced to Hall of Famer Bob Euchre's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Doors open at 3 on Friday. First pitch is at 4 o'clock. It is free. And if you don't have tickets, it's a great way to watch the game. Now, if you do have tickets, this is what's so very cool for me. My program is going to originate from Miller Park. We will be out in the mobile broadcast facility right outside of the front of Miller Park, and my entire show on Thursday. We'll do it from th- uh, noon until 3, and we're going to have some, we're going to do some regular stuff, and then we're going to have some Brewers-related programming as well. But I'll be on from noon until 3. So if you're coming out to the game, if you're fortunate enough to have tickets, be sure and stop off and say hi. Love to see you. Friday, and the first pitch is like 4.07 or 4.15 or something on Thursday. On Friday, it's an earlier start. I think the game starts at 3.07. I will once again be out at Miller Park. My show is going to be from noon until 2, and then we'll tune in, turn it over to Greg Matzik for a special extended um, extended pregame show. So all very cool. If you're coming out to Miller Park, though, be sure to stop by our tailgater. We have a lot of fun out there. And for Thursday, again, Turner Hall Ballroom. If you don't have tickets, Go on down to the viewing party. You know it's going to just absolutely, absolutely rock. All right. I was on, I I, I used to have like a five-minute commute. Now, I, I don't have a bad commute. It's about 15 minutes or so. And there are, different, there are different ways that I can come into work. But the way I come most commonly is I, I will be on the freeway. And I'll, I, I to and from my home, I'll, I'll drive on the freeway. And I live... I live to the north of where I work, so a lot of times I'll be on 43, north going home, south coming in. There is a lot of construction. It seems to me there's construction everywhere, but there's a lot of construction on you know I-43 moving north. Um, and so you always have to be aware of what it is that's, that's going on. You have to kind of pay attention. So uh, this would have been the, the other day. I'm, I'm coming coming down the freeway, and... There are cars, you know, I'm in one lane, it's, it's two lanes, and I'm in one lane, and there's, I was in, in the right lane, 
and going southbound. And so there was a car in the left lane, and we were it, it was heavy traffic, so there wasn't anybody any really passing each other. We're all everybody's moving at about the, the same rate of speed because it is congested. When all of a sudden, I, I out of my peripheral vision, I see this motorcycle with. Um, there were two people on the motorcycle. The motorcycle is splitting the lanes, driving between the right lane and the left lane at a rate of speed that is faster than all the other cars that are moving. I'm going, darn. Actually, I didn't think darn, but I, you know, for intents and purposes, I thought, darn. I, I didn't see that person coming. Now, my, I've got those, those fancy sort of like, Turn those those side lights that when there's a car in your blind spot or something it lights up and you know and it beeps if you try to you know move over so there wasn't any danger necessarily that I was going to pull over in front of the guy but the truth of the matter is I, I didn't see him until the motorcycle was essentially parallel to my car and if I hadn't have had the, these fancy things that that beep if you decide to you know switch lanes I I, I would have conceivably hit him if I had gotten far enough ahead of the car uh, that was uh, pacing me, I would have hit him. So, But the person was doing what they call lane splitting. In other words, driving between the lanes. Now, it is illegal to do that in Wisconsin. Matter of fact, it is illegal to do that anywhere in the United States except in California where for the last two years, lane splitting has been legal. In California, they explicitly allow lane splitting in which motorcycles are allowed to drive between, drive in that space between traffic lanes on public roads and on freeways. They've done it for a couple years. Uh, if you are an operator of a car or a truck, it is illegal to block or impede a motorcyclist who's trying to deliver between those two lanes. Um, vehicles in the far left lane should move to the far left part of the lane so motorcycles have room to pass on their right. All right. Motorcyclists love this in California. Motorcyclists all over the country are pushing other states to adopt this. Matter of fact, there's a change.org petition in Wisconsin saying, you know, we should allow lane splitting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have to tell you, I think this is one of the most dangerous, irresponsible traffic things that I've heard in a long while. But maybe it's because I'm just not used to it. But what do you think? Should you allow, should we allow motorcycles to essentially split the lane, create their own lane, drive between cars, on the freeways and the roadways. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Some people argue that this is safer for motorcyclists because it reduces the likelihood of them getting rear-ended if they have to slow down and, and a car hitting them from behind. All right. I'm not buying it. I mean, I guess I, I will I accept numbers that say maybe so. But to me, the, the type of other sort of collisions and accidents and danger and general havoc that you open yourself up to by allowing motorcycles to pass cars in the middle so outweighs any benefit that you could get from reducing rear-end accidents as to be staggering. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. 
All right, should we look at doing this? My answer would be no. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here it is. Yelich knocks one to the gap in right center. This could be the one. Ah, he's going to be held to a double. He's trying for three. He's going to do it. Get out. He's in there. Christian Yelich. Ask and you shall receive. It's 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, we're talking about something called lane splitting. It's legal in California, but nowhere else. Uh, the other day, true story, I'm driving on I-43. There's kind of that construction zone that's a little bit north of, like, Nicolay High School and stuff. So it's two lanes. It's a little bit narrower. Um, I, the car is, it's heavy traffic, but not stop and go traffic. So I'm, I'm going maybe 40, 45 miles an hour, maybe a little bit less. And I'm in the right lane. There's cars in the left lane. You know, it, it, it's packed. And all of a sudden out of my peripheral vision, I see that there's a motorcycle that is splitting the lane going, you know, between the cars. It is illegal to do that anywhere other than California, but there's people who say, Hey, this is safer. We should be able to do this in Wisconsin. My answer would be, are you nuts? But that's just me. Let's start with Matt in New Berlin. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Matt. Uh, being a commercial driver, I see probably more than not are texting and doing everything but driving. And being a motorcycle rider as well myself, why would you put your life in risk of splitting traffic when people are diverting yeah. <laughs> any chance they get? Yeah, especially since you're you're so so vulnerable. I mean, I guess maybe it, you maybe the idea is you get to where you're going a few minutes faster, but it seems to me to be a pretty dangerous way to do that. If you look at studies that have been done, it takes a long ways at ten miles an hour yeah. faster than the car. You're going to see them at the next stop and go light. Yeah, it, no, exactly. No, thanks. I mean, again, where is it going to get you? And you know, maybe maybe there is a learning curve. I mean, maybe you can train drivers to to look. But I mean, I'm, I'm just going to tell you honestly. If I'm in the right lane, all right, I'm I'm conscious. If I'm going to move over, I'm going to be conscious and paying attention to a car in the next lane. But I'm not thinking there's going to be a motorcycle that's going to be driving along the you know the dividing lane. I'm just not thinking of that. And I don't think most of us are taught to drive like that. Now, maybe ultimately you can be convinced of that, or maybe again, since you know on the newer cars they have the, the systems that warn you, you know, don't transfer it. It beeps at you. And, and lights flash if you're going to move and there's something that's in your blind spot or whatever. But it, it seems to me that it is so incredibly, incredibly risky that it's just not a good idea. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, I pulled over on the side of the freeway because I have to talk to you about this because I'm so passionate about this okay. topic. This is a huge pet peeve. I see this all the time in Miami. I see it all the time in Los Angeles, and I hope to goodness that, that they don't do it here. Not only does it scare the, the, the Jesus out of <laughs> you and me, right? Right. You know, which may cause us to make an accident because last thing Jeff wants to do is plow into the side of a motorcycle, not to mention the fact that they're, like the previous caller said, putting themselves in so much danger. And I will tell you, too. When you're sitting on the 405 in L.A., right. you're trying to get down to your hotel in Long Beach or Seal <laughs> Beach or wherever you're going for business, and you're not moving for two hours, and then this guy or gal comes up with a crotch rocket 
in between you and right. they just cruise out of their destination, that can kind of be a little bit frustrating, too. So know, kind of contributing contributing to road rage, in other words. Uh, <laughs> well, it definitely... Definitely a comment or two. Yeah. Got it. No, thanks. Thanks for the call, Scott. Thanks for stopping off. And yeah, and it's. I mean, here's a tip from Chris. Chris writes, Jeff, my family was in L.A. last year, and we noticed motorcycles weaving in and out of the lanes. Some of these bikes were going sixty to sixty-five miles an hour in standstill traffic. It was a terrifying thing to see, and I can't believe, of all places, California allows this. Yes, California is the one place that does. I wouldn't be in favor of changing the laws. It's very dangerous, indeed. Um, well, I just think. Because it, you know, people aren't prepared for it. And motorcycles are so incredibly, you know, incredibly vulnerable. And I mean, I understand again the argument that sometimes people aren't paying attention. And if a motorcycle is between two cars and the car isn't paying attention, you can have that rear end thing. But the bottom line is, it seems to me there's so much more danger when you've got people that are, are passing uh, again, down that center lane when motorists aren't expected to uh, to be paying attention. Here's a text. Jeff, try driving through Chicago where in a group of 15 to 20 come flying by, zigzagging in our traffic, doing this lane splitting. How annoying is that? Well, it's not just a question, I think, of annoying, but it seems to me that it's it's dangerous as well. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. All right, should we do this? Should we be more motorcycle-friendly, I guess, and let them lane split? No, that's insane. Number one is having ridden bikes in my life, you know, myself, it's, it's uh, you know, just dangerous enough just being out there. But the whole thing is, is every single day, not a day goes by where I'm in, in my lane with a car next to me and some young Yahoo is driving their car and texting and right. weaves into my lane. Okay, now if a motorcycle is zipping down right. the center of it, so then the thing is, who's going to be at fault? Well, I mean, well, I get, I mean, certainly if you've got the, if the motorcycles now have the right of way to go between the cars, yeah, then whoever moves over a little bit, they're going to be at fault. Absolutely. I'm sure, that, I'm sure the insurance companies just love that. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, no, you know, it, you know, it's funny. You know, you make a really good point. I mean, I was driving the other day and I was, my wife was in the car and I was, I was talking to the person in the other lane as I watched them kind of weave over and, you know, and kind of cross the dividing line. And I kept saying, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. And it was one of those where I, I either want to be behind this person or in front of them because they were just, they, they were weaving. And you're, you're right, you know, allow motorcycles to go between that gap as well. And my God, you're going to have people, you're going to have people injured right and left. Well, and you think about you look about the the lane the, the lane lifts too. When you're right. going towards Milwaukee, they're not as what I mean. If, I don't think you've driven the 405 in L.A., but I mean those things <laughs> are like I mean like they're right. huge. They're they're really wide. Well, well, right, yeah, and I mean, imagine like you when don't you're talking that here. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah. Can you interesting? Yeah, can you imagine if you're on a highway that's like a four lane highway and you've got people going down on on all the different lanes? I mean, it's just a free for all. Yeah, I, you know, and then it's just all it does is invite a lot of lawsuits and a lot of you know. And then, then the worst part is if somebody does get hit. Oh yeah, and, well, and you know somebody's going to get hit. Was, at least traffic was moving. Now it's going to stop. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, I, I mean, you, okay, that's cold. But you, you know, somebody is going to get hit. It, it's pretty much of a guarantee. It's just, it was interesting because there, there is a push to to try to do this in Wisconsin and and elsewhere. And the the idea, 
I understand it might be more convenient for motorcycles, and I understand that there's some motorcyclists who do this to begin with, but to me, it just strikes me as such, such reckless behavior. There's no way you should be, we should be buying into this. Dave in Sussex. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Dave. Hi, hi Dave. Jeff? Yeah, hi, Dave. You're on the air. Yeah, we uh, experienced this firsthand. We were in L.A. here about two weeks ago, and we saw a motorcycle accident on the 405. Uh, my partner that uh, we went down to visit said that the fatality rate with the motorcycles is, is really grim because they, they got the carpool lane, and then to the right, the two double lines, everybody in the carpool lane is moving at 80, 85 miles an hour, and the traffic in the other lanes is almost stopped. Along come the motorcycle, hooked his left handlebar, and that threw the motorcycle down and into the oncoming traffic oh. in the carpool lane. So, no, I do not think we should have it in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, just listening to your description of this, what good can come of this? Seriously. I mean, it's like who who could think that this would be a good idea beyond people in California? Right, exactly. No, I do not think we need that. It's hard enough getting through traffic right now. Not to have a motorcycle come speeding up and going between you. Right. No, exactly. I'm, no, I'm with you. Here's a, a lot of people who've been in L.A. recently. Jeff, rented a car in L.A., waiting to turn right on red, about to turn, and a motorcycle went on the right between me and the curb, almost hit him. Very, very scary. Yeah, you're just not looking for those type of things. In any event, you know, we talk sometimes about ideas whose time has come. This one is not one of those ideas. When we come back, Scott Warris in for John McCure. We're going to find out what he has on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 254. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.